on? There we go. Do you remember, if you're old enough, you remember when the year 2020 seemed like it was way off in the future? Uh, we we kind of thought we would be uh, driving flying cars and uh, colonizing the moon, you know, back when I was a kid, uh, by the time 2020 got here. And so we know it has come and gone in the blink of an eye. And, and uh, the book of Revelation has kind of... Uh, kind of always seemed the same thing, uh, kind, kind of similar. It, it seemed like, well, that's just things that are going to happen way, way off in the future. Um, but I, I really think um, once, once all that is in this book transpires, we're going to look back and wonder where the time went as well. We are c- closer now than we ever have been before to the words of Revelation being fulfilled. And so what does... What does God have to say to us after almost two years in this 2020 study as we finally come to this book of Revelation? And so um, I, I want to I let you know on something, and it just may blow your mind. It is, uh, it is Revelation, not Revelations. It's Revelation, not Revelations. Now, we, maybe we should just have an altar call right now, you know, because uh, we've already learned something, right? But it's Revelation, not Revelations. And, and Revelation can be overwhelming. It is the most difficult book to translate. It's the most, most difficult book to understand. Uh, honestly, I've never felt um, more inadequate with any of these other books in this series than the book of Revelation. And so the plan is to take it slowly. Uh, to give you an idea, I'm currently about seven weeks ahead and I just finished chapter three. So we're going to take it slowly, and, and I will admit to you that I do not have it all figured out. I heard a preacher say one time, if anybody ever tells you that they've got the book of Revelation figured out, uh, then you need to run away from them, because they don't. And so today we start with chapter 1, in verse 1. Uh, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants, things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ to all things that he saw. So inspired by God, written by the hand of John, and and most of us agree that this is the son of thunder, the elder of thunder that we've seen in his gospel and in the uh, three letters by his name. He was the last living disciple, the only one not martyred as far as we know, but he was exiled to the island of Patmos, for his faith in who he was getting ready to write about. Now, the original word for revelation is where we get our word apocalypse. It means to expose and lay bare, to make visible to all. It's a word that has taken on the meaning of the end of the world for us. And it causes people to become preppers and store up food and ammunition so that they might be able to make it as long as possible. Apocalypse is a word that many times brings fear and confusion, but that's not the intent of the book of Revelation. The first blank on your outline, the purpose is to bless. The purpose of Revelation is to bless. Uh, Blessed is he, verse 3 says, who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keeps those things which are written in it, for the time is near. So this is the only book in the Bible that specifically promises a blessing to the, the readers and keepers of what it says. We see that promise in general throughout the Word, but specifically uh, it's only here in Revelation. The condition of that blessing is something that we've been seeing throughout our study. We must be in Christ. 
And so we can think of this book of Revelation as uh, kind of when we, we, we go to our kids' programs or grandkids' programs at school. You, you walk in and they hand you uh, a program of events. And, and so Revelation is kind of like God's program of events for the end of time. And it blesses by telling things to come and offering life that Jesus gives. As his children, we don't have to be afraid of what, what Revelation says. Because when it's all said and done, Jesus wins. And Jesus reigns. And Jesus will finally receive what he deserves. And he has invited us to be a part of it. And he's handed us a program of events. Ever since the fall of man in Genesis 3, the world has been groaning under the weight of brokenness. And ever since the animals were killed to make coverings for Adam and Eve because of their sins. And actually we'll see in our study here, uh, even before that, this, this word of God has been pointing forward to Jesus. And we saw him for a short while in the Gospels, but the world continues to groan for his return. And the time is near. In this first chapter, John lays the, the groundwork for the entire book. It has been all about Jesus. It is all about Jesus. And it will be all about Jesus. In these first 20 verses, John's vision gives us uh, at least 12 different descriptions or names or titles of Jesus. Each one significant and each one building upon the last. As we read this first chapter, see if you can catch all 12. Revelation 1-3 says, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. Just make a middle note. That's God the Father. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne. You can make another mental note. That is the Holy Spirit. And you can check out Isaiah 11.2 when you get a chance to explain the, the seven spirits. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness. The firstborn from the dead and the ruler over the kings of the earth. To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with clouds and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega. The beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island that is called Patmos, for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, and what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. And then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet, and girded about the chest with a golden band. 
His head and his hair were white like wool and white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun, shining in, in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. I have the keys of Hades and of death. Write the things which you have seen, and the things which are, and the things which will take place after this. The mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. So did, did you catch all of that? <laughs> um, don't worry if you didn't, because that's why we're going to take it slowly. Uh, just uh, as, before we get into the, the, the biggest part of the outline, um, we'll make a middle note here. The number seven represents completeness. Uh, we saw the, the number seven uh, quite a few times here in chapter one, and it means completeness, and, and we will see more of that, and so we could just store that in our in our minds for later. But today the focus is Jesus. The focus is Jesus. And notice how he is described. Number one in your outline, he's the faithful witness. Pick it up in verse four again. Uh, John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace and peace to you from him who was, who, who is, who was, and who is to come. Remember, that's God the Father. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne, remember, that's the Holy Spirit. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness. Okay, so what is the significance of Jesus being the faithful witness? That title. Well, I, I think it's at least twofold. Uh, the, the word witness used here is martus. It's, it's similar for our word martyr. Uh, so it can be used for one who is martyred for their faith. We would say they were a witness for Christ. But the word martus also carries a legal definition of one who testifies, and you can write these down, and a historical definition of one who is watching. So one who testifies and one who is watching. So just like you are witnesses of the service here today, Jesus has been witness to everything that has happened in human history. And even before that, he has seen it, and when he comes back, he will testify. John 18 37 says that's why Jesus came to testify of the truth and when he returns he will be the key witness. It will be his testimony that convicts or acquits every human soul. It will be his testimony that sends Satan and his demons to hell forever. And so we can see this this faithful witness has great power and we can write that down. This faithful witness has great power. And again, this is not written so that we will be afraid. If we know him, look at what 1 John 2 says. Written to believers, it says, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an, what's the next word? An advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. That That word advocate is parakletos. It means one who is summoned to one's side, as in a courtroom. 
one who pleads another's cause before a judge, a counsel for defense. And so when we sing that, sing that song, I need you, Lord, I need you, my one defense, my righteousness, here it is. And church, this is who Jesus is on our behalf. If, if we have trusted him with, in our hearts, what he did on the cross, if we are his child, when we stand before the judge of all creation, Jesus is going to step in and say, no, he's mine. She's mine. And God the Father, the judge, will look on us and see his righteousness. This faithful witness. He testifies of the truth because he is the truth. And he is the most powerful key witness and he pleads my case and he pleads your case before the judge of of the universe in this heavenly courtroom. Jesus is the faithful witness. Secondly, we see he is the firstborn from the dead. He's the firstborn from the dead. Number two on your outline. So verse four again, to John, excuse me, John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace and peace to you from God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, verse five, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead. Now, we have seen Jesus called the firstborn from the dead, uh, firstborn before. Uh, in Colossians 1.15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. And when we hear firstborn, uh, we might want to wonder if, if Jesus is, was created. Which kind of goes against everything we as Christians believe and, and have been taught. And that would even contradict the passage, passage we've read here today. But remember... Uh, every time we come across a contradiction, an apparent contradiction in the word, it's not. We just have to dig deeper and see what it really means. When you hear firstborn, don't think of it in terms of, of time. Think of it in terms of rank. This does not imply that Jesus was created, but it does mean that Jesus is most important. He is first. Colossians 1 goes on to say, verse 16, For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. So firstborn over all creation means his name is above every other name. In church, he cannot be both created and creator of all things. But he can be of highest rank and creator of all things. Which is exactly what he is. So consider this. He's the firstborn from the dead. Jesus is not the only one to die and come back to life. Actually the list is pretty long in the word of God. Uh, The widow's son in 1 Kings 17. The man whose body was was thrown on the bones of Elijah in 2 Kings 13. Jairus' daughter in Luke 8. Lazarus in John 11. Eutychus in Acts 20. And, And there are more. But are these still with us? No. Did Eutychus ever change your life? No. Did any of these ever perform any miracles? No. Did any of them ascend to heaven on the clouds? No. See, see all of these that were raised from the dead eventually died again except Jesus. When he rose, he had an imperishable body. He was the first in a long line of his saints that will do the same. He is able to bring his followers from death to eternal life. He has power over 
death. We saw later in this chapter, he's described as the one that that has the keys to death and to hell. He is the one who overcame death completely. And that's why he's most important. That's why he's first. That's why he's worthy of our worship. That's why this book is all about him. So faithful witness means he has much power. First born from the dead means that he is of supreme rank. This is Jesus And John's just laying the foundation for the rest of the chapter. Look at verse 4 again. Grace and peace to you from God the Father, God the Spirit. Verse 5, from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead. And number 3 on your outline, the ruler over the kings of the earth. Jesus is ruler over kings. That means that he reigns. That means he is sovereign And throughout the Old Testament, God gave us clues about the kingship of the coming Messiah. Jeremiah 23, 5. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper. And and look how this is finished out. This next verse. The rest of this verse. And execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell safely. Now this is his name by which he will be called, the Lord our righteousness. Goes right along with our, what we've already studied here today. The Lord our righteousness. Micah 5.2 But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth are from old, from everlasting. In Zechariah, Zechariah 9, 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation. And we know that this king didn't come like anyone expected. He came lowly and riding on a donkey. And so it's as if when the people heard that a king was coming, they tuned out the last part of the, that verse. When he came the first time, he came in, in very low accommodations lowly and riding on a donkey the salvation that he brought was missed by so many because it was upside down from what they anticipated and then he hung on the cross and the sign above his head mockingly said the king of the jews and so god's word here in revelation says let it be known and make no mistake jesus is ruler over the kings of this world philippians 2 10 therefore god has also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name that at the name of jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth and that every tongue should confess that jesus christ is lord to the glory of god the father church let me ask you this Who is the king of your heart? We sang it this morning. Who's the king of your heart? Who really sits on the throne of your heart? Because Jesus rules over every other king. And if we look for that in anything but Jesus, it will not last, it will not satisfy. It will not rule our lives with love and goodness and mercy, but Jesus does. He's powerful, he's first, he reigns, and we're still in verse 5. Grace and peace to you from God the Father, God the Spirit. Verse 5 again, 
from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who has, what are the next two words? Loved us. That's right. It's number four in your outline. Jesus has loved us. We forget that sometimes, don't we? Yes, Jesus loves me. A simple song we've sang since we were kids. Satan wants us to forget that. Satan wants to be the loudest voice in our lives to make sure that we don't hear those words. Jesus loves me. And maybe you've heard him say things like, well, well, how could Jesus love you after what you've done? Maybe you've heard him say things like, well, Jesus may love them, but he doesn't love you because you're unlovable. But even if the people in your life have told you that you're unlovable or demonstrated that to you, the truth is Jesus has loved you. Despite your flaws, despite your shortcomings, Jesus has loved me. Despite my sin, despite my rebellion, despite how ugly my heart can be at times. Jesus loves us. We couldn't earn it. We don't deserve it. But he loves us anyway. John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friend. 1 John 3, 1. Behold what manner of love the, the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his own love toward us, and that while we were still sinners... Christ died for us. Jesus has loved us. And he continues to love us. Number five on your outline, Jesus has loosed us. He has loosed us from the power of sin. Look at verse five again. To him who has loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. The precious, perfect, innocent sinless blood of Jesus, the only sacrifice perfect and holy enough to pay for the sins of the world. There is power in his blood and there is no limit to its cleansing power. Whatever it is in your past that Satan keeps bringing up and shaming you over, Jesus' blood covers that. Whatever it is that you can't seem to forgive yourself for, Jesus' blood covers that. How many sins Does Jesus' blood cover all of them in a believer's life? All of them, past, present, and future. Sin's powerful grip on us has been loosed and broken because of the blood of Jesus. He loved us. He loosed us from the power of sin. And number six, he lifted us. He lifted us. He has made us kings and priests Verse 6 goes on to say, To his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. He's made us kings and priests. You know, as, as a daughter of the king, as a son of the king, what does that make us? It makes us royalty. And, and that just blows my mind, church, that he would call me royalty, as ugly as I can, can be, but as his son, that's the gift. That's the gift he gives. He lifted us out of the pit. He took us when we were covered in filth, when we had nothing to offer him, when we had n- no hope. 
When we were shaking our fists in his face, when we were mocking him, when we were rebellious, Jesus reached out in love. He released us from our chains. We are prisoners no more. When we should have been thrown out into utter darkness. He's made us kings and priests. Other translations say he's made us a kingdom of priests. And our job now is to connect people to God and God to the people Tell them what he has graciously done for us. Because, look at verse 7. Behold, he is coming with the clouds. And every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. He is coming. And church, this is the one who the rest of this book is about. He's the faithful witness. He speaks truth. He pleads my case before God, the Father, the judge of the universe. He is powerful. He is the firstborn from the dead. Because he rose with an imperishable body, he can offer the same to us. He is first. He rules over every king. He is the king of kings. He is sovereign over all. He loved us. He loosed us. He lifted us. And he is coming. And chapter 1 is setting the stage for the rest of this book. And I hope to start right here the next time we're together. As we go into a time of invitation. Would you just bow your hearts and heads and close your eyes and just allow God to do business in your life. Of all these names and titles of who Jesus is. Which one speaks to your heart the most? The faithful witness. As we've seen in other places, he's our advocate. He stands right by our side. And when we stand before the judge of the universe, Jesus is going to step in and say, Huh, they're my child. Apply my righteousness to, to their account. He's powerful, the firstborn from the dead. He rules over every king. So who's the king of your heart? Because Jesus is above whatever it is, and it's not going to satisfy like he will. Jesus loves you. You're free. Are you living like it? You don't have to live in that pit anymore. You don't have to live with that guilt anymore because Jesus is lifted. And now because you are his child, royalty. Church, he's coming. If he came at this moment, would you be ready to see him face to face? Lord, we do love you, and we do need you, and we do worship you for all that you are. Lord, just just a few verses here, we're just barely skimming the surface, but Lord, you are most worthy. 
And Lord, we thank you for the truth that you love us and that you still speak to our hearts. Lord, if there is anything on the throne of our hearts other than you, help us to confess that and truly make you the king of our heart. Lord, we look forward to the day that we will stand in your presence and worship you uninhibited. We'll truly know what joy is, we'll truly know what peace is, and we we do look forward to that day, but Lord, uh, while we're here, we, we know that you have a job for us. And so help us to live on mission. Help us to be those those priests that people to you and you to the people. Lord, we cannot do that on our own strength. And that's why we need you, Lord. Again, we thank you for being able to be here. And it's in the awesome name of Jesus we pray. Amen.